Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, we can change the world. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, have you ever wondered to what degree your thoughts, your beliefs, and your emotions influence your days, your health, and your ability to heal? Kelly Noonan Gores spent years exploring cutting-edge science, ancient medicine, and spiritual practices. She's interviewed and studied under Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Bruce Lipton, and many others. And she wants to share what she's discovered from her research. Namely, it is this that we have far more control over our well-being, over our health, and over our life than we've been taught to believe. My friends, Kelly is an actress. She's a director. She's a producer. She's a recent author of the book, Heal. And then most recently, she's a mother. She is going to be sharing an amazing story of choosing love over fear on your personal wellness journey. So what I encourage you today to do is to open wide your minds. She's gonna share some things that are countercultural and maybe things you've never heard of before. Maybe you don't believe work, but I encourage you today to open wide your minds to it. Open your hearts up to it. Take some notes around it. And we're gonna bring on our newest friend. Her name is Kelly Noonan Gores. Kelly, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. We are celebrating the release of the book, Heal. We are huge fans of the documentary and big fans of yours. But for those who have not yet seen the documentary or they've not read the book or they don't yet know the name Kelly Noonan Gores, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing today, Kelly. A couple of years ago, I, I put together a film, a documentary called Heal. And I wanted to kind of explore the power of the human body and what it's capable of. I think it's a miraculous, amazing, you know, system that we're blessed with, this vessel that we come into the world with. I wanted to highlight the science and kind of the spirituality behind the mind-body connection and, and how our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions affect our physical health. So I, I put together this film with some of the amazing teachers and thought leaders that had inspired and empowered me in my life. Um, with the goal of inspiring and empowering others mm. um, that might be facing a healing crisis or wanting to live a healthier life and, and prevent one down the road, if they could. It's been a wild ride. It's, it's had a good run, and, and now we're coming out with a book, which I got to dive a little bit deeper into the topic because there's only so much you can pack into a you know 90-minute film. 
we're very excited to to share more with the world. It seems to me you've had some teachers step alongside of you along the way that encourage you to take the next step forward. And we'll talk about Bruce Lipton, among others, in a moment. But I'm, I'm curious, as you were working on the film, were there moments where you hit a roadblock and you were thinking, you know what, uh, this thing is not going to happen? Making a film, there's a lot of roadblocks and challenges that can pop up, especially when you're on a extremely tight budget and and skeleton crew. And um, <laughs> But behind... This, you know, it was definitely a calling to make this film. There was there was an energy behind it and kind of pulling me or pushing me um, to, to make this film. I had been thinking about it for 10 years before I was ready to actually start. Um, so it was just kind of like building. And then, you know, there just seemed to be kind of a divine energy behind it. So um, I, I went into it going, okay, you know, I don't know why this is coming through me, <laughs> but mm-hmm. if this, if this calling is meant for me to do, I'm, I'm going to trust that, you know, I will be given the tools and the guidance along the way. And that's what I kind of did. You know, there was many self doubt obstacles that mm-hmm. popped up along the way because it was the first film that I wrote and directed. Um, but again, I just, I really surrendered and, and let that let it un- unfold and really trusted that it was meant to be and and the answers would be shown and the guidance and the way would be the way would be kind of illuminated for me and it was it was you know where where maybe a no came up it was very quickly made apparent that the the yes was you know just one degree to the right and so it was it was just such a cool experience because we kind of had to practice what we were preaching and really stay positive and, and trust and surrender. And, and it all kind of unfolded as it should have, I guess. So I'm, I'm going to back up even a little bit farther than when you began the film and the journey forward to when you were late teens, maybe even early 20. I do a lot of speaking with schools and college-age students and have noted that about half of them deal with anxiety, a large percentage deal with depression, and more than a third feels that they have no one that they can actually lean into, like no true friends that they can share the depth of their hearts with. Your darkness of the night may not have been that dark, but you you had a moment in your life where you really struggled. And when you were 19 or maybe 20 years old, you stumbled into a book by Marianne Williamson. Talk about the book, The Return to Love, what you were dealing with and how that book helped to pivot you forward into your life. In college, you know, I went away, you explore and you, you party and you drink too much. And so that can kind of lead to some depression and the food I was eating was crappy and you're drinking and you're staying up late and you're not getting sleep. So you're not feeling, I wasn't feeling my best, you know, Mm -hmm. but I traveled with my brother to Australia. I took some time off of school transferring between Berkeley and UCLA. So I had two quarters off. So I decided to go with my brother to Australia because he was going there for a photo project. On the way home from that trip, someone had gifted me that book, Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. The terminology she used to describe God was love. And, you know, we have a choice, and the opposite of love is is fear. So we have a choice in every moment, um, whether to come from love or to come from fear. And, you know, our source, God, is love. And so if you're going to be aligned with that, you need to come from love. So I'm not articulating as beautifully as she does, but... (laughs) You're doing great. um, Keep going. But it resonated so deeply with me. And I, and I kind of, in hindsight, realized that my depression, yes, food and alcohol may have, may have contributed to it. But I think it was just like this, I had no true north. I had no grounding faith. And the way she 
she put it really resonated. So, so I, I, I kind of was sent on this spiritual path of, you know, love and, and kind of the universal message behind all religions, you know, and I felt just that was kind of opened my heart and really grounded me in this faith that there is a higher power and it is we come from love and we return to love and, and God is love and, and, and we can really tap into that and align with that if we, if we choose love in the moment. So that kind of catapulted me on this seeking journey and changed my life. And, 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 and my depression was no longer, wow. you know, because I had this true north. This concept of pivoting between victim and victor or fear and love, is that an area of your life that you still struggle from time to time going back and forth between fear and love or victim and victor? Absolutely. I think, I don't know, you know, many people that are, that experience enlightenment in this lifetime, I think that just (laughs) being human, you're going to, fear comes up in every day and in these little moments. And it's a signal to me that, oh, there's still work needing to be done in that area, Hmm. whether it's in a relationship or with work, these things show up in these moments of fear to go, oh, well, we still need to work in that area of your life. So um, yes, constantly facing fear, whether big or small, but you know, I have these spiritual practices that help me not get taken over by the fear. Meditation and and gratitude work and, and just awareness in general. So we can go, oh, wow, my, my heart is racing. I feel tightness in my chest. Mm-hmm. My mind is spiraling out of control as it, as it does. And the more you have these spiritual practices, the quicker you can kind of rein the horse back in and, um, you know, go back to your breath and get back to the present moment and not spiral out of fear of about the worst case scenario, et cetera. So yes, I face fear every day, but um, I have, I feel like the tools to face it and to, to use it as a, as a light bulb to, to what, what you need to work on. I mentioned him earlier, but I'm going to pull it through right now. Bruce Lipton, the author of Biology of Belief, uses a couple times in that book that the sentence that you do not have to be victims to your genes. You do not have to be a victim of your gene. That's a turning point for you as well as you realize that uh, we don't have to be victims to to the things that come into our life. I'm curious as I get ready to set up this question, why do you think most of us first don't know that and secondly almost prefer passively or actively to be victims to our genes or to circumstances or to life or to fear? I think it's just a societal like slow burn conditioning that we've had over the years. You know, I don't think anyone's intention was to brainwash condition us in this way. I just think it's how we've evolved as a society that, you know, we were always told stories or images of, of when, when we're sick or when there's an injury, you know, the, the man in the white coat with the little black bag comes to your, the little house on the prairie and, <laughs> and saves you with, with some sort of medicine or, or treatment, you know, and so just that there makes us believe that we need someone or something outside of ourselves to heal, you know, so, so right there, that takes a little bit of our power away. And when, you know, that's when we become victims is when we're disempowered. When I read The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton, and I learned about epigenetics and how, you know, our DNA, our genes, our genealogy is just a blueprint but our lifestyle choices and our perception about life, um, our thoughts and beliefs, they're the triggers that turn on and off mm-hmm. um, our genes. So that, that was so empowering to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not victims of our genes. Now, in my interviews in the documentary, you know, a lot of the doctors and scientists, the consensus is that 
somewhere between two to five percent of our our genes are maybe fully penitent, which which means that they the epigenetic factors don't apply to them. But in ninety five to ninety eight percent of the time, there's something we can do to make better choices and 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 affect our genes in a positive way. And I think that is so empowering. You write a lot, and then you bring it forward a lot in your documentary as well, this idea of a holistic view of health, where it's not just this or that, but it's it's way more broad. You approach it through the lens of the mind, the body, and the spirit. Why do you think, Kelly, that that is so important when you look at, at your health? We know now that stress is really affecting, when we're stressed, which is an emotional mental factors, something we have a belief about life, and then, and then that causes us to react to life in, in a certain way, where one, one person can see a snake in the road and have this fight-or-flight reaction go throughout their body because they have a belief that snakes are dangerous. Other people, another person could be raised with snakes and think snakes are the cuddliest pets in the world and not have a fight-or-flight response. So it's the same, same stimulus, two different responses per person. So stress then shuts down your immune system. It has all of these biological and physiological effects on your body. And a lot of us are living now because of this overstimulation of technology and, and chemical stressors in our life, in our food, in our environments. We're, we're under stress a lot. Again, the experts that I interviewed in the book, uh, they all agree that, you know, 95% of illness and disease that takes us to the doctors, you know, they have stress at their core, some sort of stress, whether it's chemical or emotional or physical. That being said, a lot of times Western medicine only looks at the symptom that's arising uh, in the body, whether it's pain in the joints Mm -hmm. or a skin rash and a, a holistic view. The symptom is the last thing to show up. The symptom is the smoke alarm going off saying that there's a fire for lack of a better metaphor. That's perfect. A lot of times Western medicine just wants to treat the symptoms um, and put out, you know, turn off the smoke alarm so that the person isn't suffering, but they're not getting to the root cause. They're not putting out the fire that's causing the smoke alarm to go off. So the term holistic is often looked at as, you know, woo-woo or hippy-dippy or whatever, but I see it as an essential way to approach your health because the mental stress, the emotional stress, all of these things suppress your immune system so that it can't do what it's beautifully designed to do, which is get rid of these pathogens, fight off viruses, bacteria. And so, you know, ultimately all this stuff kind of the overload takes over the body. So all this to say, Mm -hmm. when you're approaching your health, you can't just, you know, treat the symptom. You need to get to the root cause. And a lot of times the root cause has its root in an emotional trauma or some stress overload that's going on in your life. So help us unpack that a little bit more. You mentioned 90 or 95% of what sends us off to the physician's office in one way or another is due to stress. And I know some of our listeners right now are listening to this on two or times three speed so they can get it in before they go to the office, before they get their projects done, before they get their kids dinner on, kids to bed, wash and repeat, do it again the following day. And if we're lucky, we listen to a podcast that is life given on three times. Like it's craziness and it causes an awful lot of stress. We live in a stressful world. So help us, Kelly, peel back some of that onion so we can have a little bit less stress in our life. I know you work and live with a bunch of very, very busy people. What are some strategies that you utilize to reduce some of the stress in your life? 
a great question. I recently had a baby almost four months ago, so <laughs> some of these some of these practices I had before the baby have gone far out the window, but right. I'm a little less consistent because, you know, priorities take over. But I still really try to implement things like meditation and earthing and grounding um, on a daily basis because I know that when I reduce my stress levels and when I make time to commit to these practices and create space in my mind and my life that I can show up, you know, in a better way for my, for my daughters. But I think meditation to me is a really, really, really important one. And it can look, there's so many different types of meditation, but it's just getting back to your breath and it's shutting your eyes to all of this stimuli. You know, we're on our phones. We're just constantly bombarded with mm-hmm. information. So, you know, just at the very basic level to turn within, to close your eyes, to go within, get back to connecting to your breath. You know, oftentimes we're going throughout our day and this stimuli from the outside world, you know, we find ourselves holding our breath. We're not breathing as deep as we could. And breath is life. So even if it's just five minutes a day, shutting the door, and just coming back to your breath and just doing deep breaths for five minutes with your eyes closed, I mean, that will have tremendously beneficial effects on your on your system and your immune system and, and your endocrine system. Everything in your body will be able to reset and rebalance. And, and if you do that five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever you can fit in, it really just provides a breath in your life so that you can handle... So you can go back into the world and, and you've created a little more space in your in your lungs and your mind so that you don't react to life. You can you can show up and you can respond to life. And it's whatever you can manage, you know? I'll uh, share just a little practice I do for those who are thinking they're too busy. I, I found a solution for that. And uh, I set my alarm for 10 minutes early every morning. I know this is pretty radical, but here we go. 10 minutes And I go downstairs, I make a hot cup of tea or maybe a coffee, a glass of water, whatever it might be, and sit outside, typically on my screen porch, meditate, pray, reflect, and make a list of things I'm grateful for every single day. It takes 10 minutes. Part of what I credit my health to is this simple practice. It's a ritual every morning. You also mentioned a term that I have seldom heard other places. It's earthing. I I just recently wrote about earthing, but many of our listeners won't know what that is. So tell our listeners what earthing is and what it means. Totally. And it's a little harder to do if you live in a concrete jungle in in the city in a metropolitan area. Right. Um, But they have all this wonderful technology now that can you can actually bring earthing into your into your home. But the idea is to get back out and connect with nature, you know, um, put your bare feet in the grass, go for a hike, uh, go for a walk in the forest, whatever you can do to connect with nature. Nature has tremendous healing properties and it literally grounds you. And the negative ionic charge from the earth is very healing. It's anti-inflammatory. It lowers your blood pressure. You know, our ancestors were very connected to the earth. They slept on the earth. They walked barefoot on the earth. Again, it has tremendous healing benefits. And and we're very disconnected from nature right now. You know, a lot of us are, especially if we're working in the city, per se. I did that every day when I was pregnant, and I truly, my, my daughter has a very, very calm nervous system. I mean, even in, in labor and delivery, like her heart rate never went up, and she, there was never any panic because she just has this very grounded nervous system. And I'm, and that may just be the soul that came in through her, or it could be the fact that I earthed every day and, and really just calmed and grounded both of, both of our nervous systems. 
that's one thing. They they do sell earthing mats and earthing sheets mm-hmm. um, for if if you don't if you live in a very cold climate and you can't get out during the winter. So there, you know, look up earthing online and and there's some cool products out there. But you know, even if again, if it's just five ten minutes a day, getting out, putting your bare feet in the ground, um, in the grass, in the dirt, and and getting the natural sunlight on you. Vitamin D is one of the biggest health benefits comes from the sun. So. You don't want to overexpose yourself, but certainly 20 minutes a day is is hugely, hugely beneficial for, for your health. So, and I love what you said about gratitude. I think that's that's the third tool that I use mm-hmm. on a daily basis. It's just such a beautiful way to, you know, our thoughts, our energy that we're putting out into the world, our thoughts and what we're putting our focus on really changes the frequency of our electromagnetic field. And if we can pivot our thoughts or make a daily practice of, of prayer and gratitude um, for our blessings and, and our breath. You know, you can always find something to be grateful for um, that really shifts your energy and it sends out, starts to send out a different signal to the world. And it's totally transformative. So as we talk about these signals and as we talk about these different tools we can use, I know some of our listeners are thinking, man, this sounds awfully woo-woo. This sounds kind of uh, out there to be, but it certainly ties into placebo effect. Uh, rather than me telling you what placebo effect is, and I think many of our listeners will know what it is, but Kelly, why don't you tell us what you understand it to be? Sure. You know, it's all about belief, right? Just the basic definition of placebo effect, you know, when, when pharmaceutical companies are testing drugs for their efficacy and for their, you know, how well they work, they have to have a control group where people are given a sugar pill or a saline solution, something that is inert. It's a a substance that should not change the health of the person. Um, And then they test the results against a group of people that are taking the actual drug. So let's talk about an antidepressant. Um, Group A is given a sugar pill saying that it's an antidepressant that's going to make them feel better. Um, And then group B is given the actual drug. And then they compare the results and the feelings that the people have after taking this drug for X amount of time. Mm -hmm. What they found is in upwards of sometimes 50 to 75% of the people in group A that were just given a sugar pill, not an antidepressant, but they thought and believed they were going to feel better given this pill, 50 to 75% of them had a positive reaction and felt as good, if not better, than the people taking the actual drug. So what does that tell us? That tells us that when we have a belief about something, we believe this pill is going to make us feel better, we have an expectation that it's going to happen, then we're telling ourselves over and over, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to feel better subconsciously. Mm. That literally has a physical effect on our body, a physiological effect. So that shows me that our belief, the power of the mind is sometimes even, you know, often more powerful than an actual drug. So, and scientists are having a difficult time proving how big of a factor the mind is in all of this and in the placebo effect, but it just shows to me that the mind is a huge factor. What bothers me about all that is our scientists frequently are trying to figure out how do we get rid of this so we can prove the quality of our drug rather than celebrating the fact that, gosh, you're saying people taking sugar pills can elevate their chance of beating back that, that disease, whatever that disease process might be. I'm curious, just from your research, why do you think we are so reluctant to be open to the power of belief? Just open to it. Like, ah, tell me more about that. Let's explore the placebo effect. Well, this is what it, it kind of infuriates me, to be honest. Like, why are we not 
exploiting the placebo effect for positive reasons. And the only reason that we're not is because that would mean people take less drugs and that means less profit for certain companies. So they're not incentivized. It would be very kind of the highest use would be like, let's use these drugs for a small amount of time to get someone over the hump because there are good drugs out there. There are life-saving technologies and and drugs that can really get someone out of an acute situation and save lives. Um, but, But they have detrimental side effects if you use them long term. So the goal would be like, let's figure out a way to get the drugs for a short amount of time to get someone over the hump, but then start to replace the drugs with sugar pills or less harmful drugs. I know, you know, that's the rudimentary way of saying it, but if if you condition your body to believe that with the, with the actual drugs, so say you take the antidepressant for one month and then you're starting to feel better, um, then slowly, because you're still, if you're still taking a pill, but that pill may become a lower, 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 lower dose until it's just a sugar pill, but you still have this expectation that you're going to get these results from the drug, it'd be a way to have less harmful side effects in the long term with the same results. So there are ways to exploit the placebo effect that we're not doing because ultimately it means we sell less drugs, which is so frustrating to me. You've had hundreds of thousands of individuals who've watched the movie Heal and many more who've read the book Heal. Is there one story of someone who was moved by it, a change they made, an impact on their life, a a story that you're really excited to share with us? Oh, my goodness. Um, so many people have reached out from all over the world, and it's just, it's, I, it's almost hard to believe that the film inspired them. But, you know, they say, oh, I watched it four, five, six, ten times, you know, and it, I recently had a woman reach out to me, and she said that, you know, she was, oh, it's really hard to talk about, but she, she said she was at the end of her rope, and she, a young woman, I mean, early 20s, and she was going to take her life, and she felt that God put this film in front of her, and she watched this film, and it kind of just woke something up inside of her, and she just took her power back, and she pulled the reins in on her mind and, and made different choices after watching the film, and she, you know, she wrote to me, like, through tears, saying that the film saved her life, and that her her family and friends and her parents are just so grateful that they have their daughter back. Stories like that, I'm just, I, I, if that's the only on. person I moved, it was worth it, you know? I do know. So I'm going to ask you two kind of playful, fun questions about personal life. Then then we will wrap up with the Live Inspired 7. So, uh, Ms. Kelly, have you seen the movie The Wedding Singer? I have. I have. It's right. been a few years. It's I been have. a few years for me, too. But as I was preparing for this, I did a lot of recon on your work read your book, watch the documentary, listen to just about every one of your podcasts. And I bumped into a spread in people that celebrated your wedding. Our wedding singer was a lot like Adam Sandler. He, uh, (laughs) it's like journey recovers just a little bit off. Beth and I danced to Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline, but I think it was just a little bit off. You, my friend, had John freaking Legend perform at your wedding. So let's just talk about John Legend singing at your wedding. How, how was the, the wedding singer that night? How was that? Uh, oh, how was goodness. John? I mean, you know, he's okay, right? He's, <laughs> right. He's, he's just okay. No, he was beautiful. My husband surprised me. My 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 husband loves to like pull pranks on people and mm-hmm. surprise people and. And when we were talking about wedding songs, I, I played for him the song All of Me by John Legend. And I was like, listen to these words. Like, 
they they're totally us like you know and I was just so emotional about it and and I planned the wedding and like we did kind of even though we were engaged for a very long time I was doing the I was right in the middle of doing heel and we decided to we picked this date and we were you know we planned the wedding like four months so we did it really quickly um because I was like we got to do it but I'm I have all this stuff on my plate and we got to do it before the film comes out etc so long story longer I wasn't spending a lot of emotional time that most women do on on a wedding I was just like get this done but the one thing that I wanted to be really sentimental was the song our first dance and so I, I, the words all of me really spoke to me, and it was like I thought it defined our relationship perfectly. And so I played it for him, and he's like, "No, I don't think so. It's, it's, you know, it's just okay." And I was like, "What?" Like it totally made me cry. <laughs> and then so I found another song for our first dance, and then he surprised me with getting John Legend. I think he had a, a mutual friend and a connection, and, and made it happen. But obviously, it was a tremendous surprise, and just brought me to tears again, beyond and. Uh, just so grateful for that experience. Well, we're having a barbecue in our backyard next week. And if you want to have your husband give me a call, see if we can't pull a <laughs> string or two, uh, we can jam out to that one together. And then uh, the final question before we shift gears into the Live Inspired 7 is when you hear the words, Riley Grace, what's the very first thing that comes to mind? Uh, I just, my like heart literally explodes. Um, you know, everybody says when you have a child... It's an indescribable love. And and I have to tell you, like, I didn't feel that per se in the first couple days. You feel the love, but it's yes. kind of traumatic survival. bringing a child yes. into this world. It's survival, you know, and it's really intense what you go through. But then it's just like your heart expands to the edges of the universe, you know, and you cannot describe this love you feel for this this little being. And that's that's what I feel. She's, ugh, she's just perfection. <laughs> <laughs> she's so so sweet I mean she just smiles and lights up the world so I'm very very blessed that she's healthy and, and such a happy little girl well congratulations on it and uh, congratulations on the work on the words and the book Heal and the documentary you produced and we're going to pivot into the Live Inspired 7 now Kelly so question number one is what is the best book you have ever read ooh I mean one of my all time favorites is The Alchemist Mine too. Tell me why, though. You know, I get something different from it every time. It reminds me and reassures me that we come into this world with with kind of a mission and a purpose. And no matter what path we take, we're always going to come back to it. And it's, it's just a beautiful story and, and such a genius mm. way of presenting that concept. Yes. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? You know, I think I was super sassy and witty as a little girl. And I, I think I still have that quick wit <laughs> that I got from my father, but I've, I've toned down the sass just because of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, social graces, I guess. And I, I just, I wish I had a little less fear about, you know, the way people perceive me. And I was a, a little more, and I'm, I'm getting there, I'm working mm. on it, just being fully authentic and showing up totally as me and, and being a little less concerned about how people perceive me. And so I'm, I'm going in that direction, but I think as a child, I was as fearless and just fully me and authentic and didn't have so much fear about mm. the way people perceive me. I, mean, I, I think we start there. Obviously, all of us as little ones, we're so authentic. And then if we're fortunate and we work it, we return to it. Maybe yeah. at 39, maybe at 40, maybe at 85, but eventually we get back to that authentic <laughs> self. 
<laughs> I hope so. I hope so. If your home caught fire and everything that you cared about, all the loved ones, all the animals are out, and you had an opportunity, though, to run in safely and grab one item, what's the one thing you would go in for? At this point, the only thing that's um, irreplaceable is the old photo albums. Before we had any of this, all these digital photo albums, you know, go grab the baby album and the the photo albums. That's what, we had a lot of wildfires in Mm -hmm. California last fall, and and we had actually people come to stay with us, and their houses were in danger, and and we live right on the canyon, and and that's that's basically what I put in the trunk of my car, Mm. is the photo albums, because you can't get those back, you know? From, I do. from the 70s and the 80s. <laughs> Kelly, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be seated next to? Oh, I definitely Jesus. What, what you is know? your first question to Jesus? <laughs> My first question, I don't even know where I would begin. Please tell me everything. Can you tell me everything? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my first question would be. What would your first question be? <laughs> My first question of Jesus would be, if you are all good and all loving, then why do we have to go through so many bad things while we're on earth? Why is there so much negativity, so much fear, so much starvation, so much cancer, so much death and violence all around us? That's exactly right. I think that's the question I've been asking recently. It's just like, especially, and I, you know, there's just so much suffering in the world and it's it's really hard to deal with and it's hard to wrap right. your head around and and I feel like even I feel like I'm a little even more sensitive now because I have a daughter like how do how are we supposed to cope with all of this right. suffering and violence and tragedy in the world and what does it all mean and what how can we transcend this or how how are we supposed to how are we supposed to process all this suffering? What do we do, you know? Yeah. And I, I think his response, and I'm, I'm not planning this out, but I think his response is, hey, take a look at my hands, take a look at my feet. I've shown you the way and you're not on your own. And uh, yeah. in the end, I make all things new. And so I, I think it's yeah. a great conversation to have. I think it's one we both will have an opportunity to have eventually. Hopefully yeah. no time too soon though. Right. You, you have right. a little girl to raise, so let's do a great job with that one. I'm, I'm curious, though, growing up or maybe more recently, what's the best advice you've ever received? I guess it's really, really trusting that the universe has your back or that God has your back. Like, to come from that place um, and to have that belief and to cultivate that belief, to really, to really know that everything everything is for your highest good. Mm. I don't know if it qualifies as advice exactly, but it's, it's just remembering that, remembering that God always has your back. Just like you talk about it and you're, you know, would you go back and change what happened to you? You, I've heard you say no, you know, it's just this, these experiences, these hardships, these challenges, these, you know, forks in the road are really, really opportunities and they really do lead us to our purpose and, and, and have so many gifts included in them. And so to, to know that and to trust the universe has your back, uh, or the, that God has your back, whatever terminology you use, that, that keeps me, that keeps me going. That can help me like take a breath during a crisis or, or during a tragedy and, and really trust and come back mm-hmm. to trust and surrender. And I, I remember hearing Lennon say, and I wasn't alive when Lennon was, but here's, here's what he said. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Uh, I and love I think that. that's a good reminder. Like this too shall pass. This storm will this end. This hurricane will blow past. Like it's going to be okay. So Kelly Noonan Gores, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? 
I would tell my 20-year-old self that anything is possible. Anything is possible and follow follow your heart. You know, I just, I, I lived, I feel like I've lived with so much fear. You, you wish in a year from now, what, you know, what would you, what would you look back and wish you had started today? I would, I would tell her to start back then, you mm-hmm. know, that anything is possible and, 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 and just to really, really trust and follow what is in your heart because if, if it's in your heart, if there's a little calling in your heart or a passion that you have, follow that because you were given that for a reason. I forget the actual language, but in every oak tree, there's an acorn. So if that seed is planted in your heart, God has given you everything that you need to see that seed come to fruition. So to really just have no fear and, 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 and know that it's possible. Right on. And final question for you, Kelly Newton-Gores. It has been said that all great directors, actors, authors, mothers, leaders can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I don't know. How do people answer this? (laughs) (laughs) Painfully, typically, but uh, honestly as well. So I would encourage you to be authentic with how, how do you want that little girl that you're about to leave this call and return to, how do you want her to remember her mother? Oh, man, this is so hard. John, one sentence. How there's not a whole lot of room it? on that tombstone. You got to kind of jam it in there. So you got, you got one sentence. You can use as many commas as you need. Okay. <laughs> she took the leap. She was terrified on the way down, but she had a lot of fun along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Kelly. I'm trying to do a skydiving <laughs> reference and, uh, you know, I've, 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 anyways, something along those lines. Kelly Newton-Gores took the leap. She was terrified <laughs> all the way down, but she had the time of her life and encouraged those who came behind her to follow suit. So, Kelly, That's right. uh, we, we want to thank you for taking the leap, for doing what you're doing, for sharing the joy that you share, and uh, for raising this little one that you are now raising. I think you're doing an awesome job already. Thank you so much, and, and right back at you, you know, all four of your kids and, and the amazing, amazing things you're doing in the world. You're so inspiring, and, and I'm honored to be on your show. My friends, that is Kelly Newton-Gores. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Heal, baby, Woo. and live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspire podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.